0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Essential. If you're a guest of us. my name is Craig, and it's wonderful to welcome you today to the start of our Advent series entitled Christmas Through Their Eyes. It's going to be a season in a, where we will just navigate together through the Christmas story Looking at Christmas through the eyes of some of the familiar Christmas characters. Now, has an action of someone ever caused you to uh, just to, to think, wow, I never expected that? Uh, yesterday, we had a day where we were running around doing different chores, and, and on the way home uh, from the pharmacy, I get a text from Vipkis saying, hey, would you pick me up a coffee? I shouldn't have been surprised, really. It was that kind of, that time of day. So I said, sure, I'll do it. So I, I pull into Big Bigby just on uh, 40th and Washington over here, and uh, they kind of plowed the, the, the parking lot, and as they would plow the parking lot, the, the kind of snow had been uh, put across the parking lot in such a way that if you were coming out of... Uh, out out of the Big B, you would have hit the snow, and you've had to kind of cut through the the drive-through line. So I'm pulling in. I see this like a responsible guy that I am, and I'm thinking, okay, I won't go straight up to the drive-through, uh, you know, to the drive-through because there's a car that's already ordering. I'll leave a gap so that I would be considerate. So if anybody's coming out, they could. Go through without having to wait. Don't you just annoy? Isn't it just annoying when someone just kind of blocks off the entrance like that? In Europe, we don't do these things. Of course, we do, but anyway. Um, (laughs) So I'm sitting there, right, and I'm leaving a gap, and lo and behold, this red Jeep comes in and goes in straight in front of me and right behind the car, ordering a coffee. And and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Don't tell me you didn't see me. I'm, I'm sitting here. So. I'm like, oh, irritated on the inside. And, and so I put the car into gear, and I just slowly, slowly kind of creep up and kind of have a look. <laughs> Lo and behold, I, I see a few ladies in, in the car, and, and they're surprised, and they look at me. And, and uh, I'm thinking to myself, the words of Vipka, be nice. Everybody knows who you are. You don't know them. <laughs> but I mean, this woman was wrong. I mean, I, I had things to do. So I'm looking at her, and she's, she's like, were you in line? I'm like, duh. No, that's what I was thinking, but I was like, and she went, oh, sorry. So I kind of put the car in reverse and, and kind of reverse back, and, and she's driving a Jeep. Any of you Jeep drivers out there? I've got a Jeep. Jeeps have got reverse gears too, right? But she sits there. And on the inside, my, my, I'm like, good night. I could have done without this. I've got to get home. Oh I've got to do this, this. Anyway, I get up and I order my coffee and I get to the window and the guy gives me the coffee and he says, the woman in front just paid for your coffee. <laughs> mm. If that was you, thank you very much. Um, anybody ever done something to you that really surprised you? You didn't expect it. We're going to look over the next few weeks through the Christmas story, and we're going to look at Christmas through the eyes of some of the characters. And we're going to begin today looking at Christmas through the eyes of Joseph. And I'm pretty convinced that what we're going to discover in this story today is going to surprise you. And it's going to challenge us to to just deal with life's wrongs in a way that honors God and just reflects The example of Joseph. So if you have a Bible from the auditorium, it's page 966 as we begin to read of Christmas through Joseph's eyes. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And I hope that you're familiar with the story enough to realize that Matthew is the first book of the New Testament And having in verses 1 through 17 gone through all of the gobbledygook of the genealogy, this is the first story that we read. So Joseph is the first guy of the kind of new move that God is going to do. And what's amazing is that when we see Christmas through Joseph's eyes, we actually start to see the hope that there is for everyone for whom... Life has gone wrong. There's hope in this good news of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they consummated their relationship, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. All this that took place. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. That's the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We're familiar with the story, right? We've heard it probably a thousand times, but let's piece this story together and try and appreciate Christmas through Joseph's eyes. Joseph, we're told, is betrothed, pledged to be married to a lady by the name of Mary. Now, in those days, the betrothal period, the engagement period, lasted 12 months, At the point of the betrothal period, the husband and the wife would would actually live in the same house together with the extended family. That's the way it would work. But the husband and wife wouldn't live as man and wife. That wouldn't happen until 12 months following. So we're in this betrothal period. And in this betrothal period, Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant. And in that moment, all the hopes that he had for the rest of his life has suddenly gone up in smoke. He's frustrated. He doesn't know what is happening. Mary has told him. We don't know how much she told him. She could have said, listen, I know what it looks like, but really, I haven't consummated a relationship with anyone. Joseph would have thought, yeah, right. We, we don't know the details. All we know is that Joseph knows that Mary is pregnant, and Joseph knows this child is not his. Life's gone wrong. Let me ask you, when life goes wrong and someone treats you wrong, someone who you love, who you've done an awful lot for, treats you wrong, what do you want? More than anything else, we probably want justice. Justice. When people treat us wrong, we want justice. That's understandable. There's nothing wrong with it. It's right to want justice. But when we look at this story through Joseph's eyes, when we view Christmas through Joseph's eyes, what we discover is that in this new move of God through this son, Jesus, justice on its own isn't what this God would do. Through Jesus, compassion and kindness would be added to justice. And the amazing thing about this story is that even before Jesus has been born, this is exactly what Joseph models. God chooses Joseph. Not simply because Joseph was a just man. God chooses Joseph because Joseph is the example of a man who does God's will, God's way. The new way of Jesus. A way that had been overlooked and missed by so many. You see, when life goes wrong, we're called to do the right thing the right way. And doing the right thing the right way is one of the expressions of hope. Last week, Steve said, hope isn't a star we wish upon. It's a muscle that we flex. When life goes wrong and hope is obscured, we respond according to our spiritual stature. What is that stature? Have a look at the text, verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the Lord. That word means just It means righteous. Joseph was a just man because he was just. How do just men respond when life has gone wrong? How does a just man who's betrothed to a woman respond when the woman is pregnant? This is what the law says, Deuteronomy 22, 23, and 24. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. That's how a just man acts. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife. Joseph was a just man. Three observations about this text. Firstly, notice in that text of Deuteronomy that it starts off by talking about a woman betrothed to a man, and then after the woman is found to be pregnant, talks about because he's taken another man's wife. Those of you familiar with the Christmas story, there's some conversation, wait a minute, they seem to be betrothed and married at the same time, welcome to the context of marriage over a 12-month period in the ancient world. There's no contradiction here. It's just a part of the betrothal marriage period, so notice that first of all. Secondly, notice that the law seems to advocate stoning, but there is absolutely no indication that this was practiced in Galilee at the time of Mary and Joseph. What would rather have been enacted is that there would have been public disgrace. There would have been a scene where Mary would have been just taken to the town gate or exposed to the leaders of the town, and she would therefore have faced public disgrace. So there's no evidence of stoning actually happening. But a just man would do this, you see, because they followed the law. This is what the law prescribes. Now, thirdly, please note that the law seems to be harsh on women in this text. I have to say this because we're in the day of the Me Too movement. It seems as though the woman is the victim here. But not under that ancient betrothal ceremony she would not be. You see, even though the man and the woman would kind of come together in that betrothal period, they would never come together sexually. The man and the woman would never be allowed to get themselves in a compromising situation. So, Deuteronomy actually supposes that the woman is complicit because there would always be extended people around there. All the woman would need to do is scream and shout, and she would be rescued. So it seems to be harsh on a woman here, but Deuteronomy is based on ancient customs that actually suggests that the woman is complicit. So again, you have the picture, right? Joseph has all of the hopes of his life in front of him. Everything is going well, and then Mary comes to him and says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Those words that would have just destroyed his hope and obscured any vision of the future that he would have. Joseph is a just man is faithful to the law. What do just people do? Just people basically act out the law on the basis of two principles, retribution and equality. Justice is based on the idea of retribution and equality. Retribution, if you hurt me, hurt will come to you through the law. In Moses, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Retribution, you harm me, the system will ensure that You will be judged for that. But also equality. The idea that there is no partiality under the law at all. Everybody will be treated equally. Joseph is a just man. Justice is based on retribution and equality. That's the way it is. But look at this text again. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. What are the next two words? And? Yet, See, justice is about retribution and equality. Justice in that context would have been about exposing Mary to public disgrace. But, is another way of saying this, but Joseph did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Listen, if being faithful to the law is about exposing people's sin, why doesn't Joseph do this? And yet, Joseph didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. You see, what we're being led into here is actually going to be at the heart of this gospel that Joseph's stepson, Jesus, would actually preach. You see, in that day and age, there was an idea of justice where if you had done wrong, you would be exposed. But when Jesus would grow up, He wouldn't administer justice like this, would He? You remember the story of Jesus being sitting on the ground, and, and the religious leaders brought to Jesus a woman who had been caught in adultery? Jesus, what do we do with this woman? Remember what the story says Jesus just wrote in the ground? A reference back to the book of Jeremiah, and then Jesus just says, hey, let He who is without sin cast the first stone. Brilliant in its application of the passage of Jeremiah. And we read in the story, but one by one by one, all of these people that are making this just accusation disappear from the scene. So now it's just Jesus and the woman. And what does Jesus do? He looks at the woman and he says, Woman, Leave this place, go from this place, and sin no more, done. (laughs) You can just imagine a, a person faithful to the law saying, wait a minute, that can't be right. Where's the justice? Where's the retribution? Where's the equal application of the law? But you see, what God was doing through Jesus was putting compassion together with justice. It's God's goodness and kindness that laid the penalty for our sin not on our heads but on Jesus Himself. And do you know the amazing thing about this? Joseph is already demonstrating this right at the beginning of the story. Now, the obvious question is, where does Joseph get this from? If you're familiar with the Gospels at all, you realize this is not what the religious climate of its day is actually demonstrating. They're harsh. They're legalistic. If you're wrong, they'll point the finger at you. How many of you know what it's like to have done wrong and for someone you thought was a saint to have shared your wrong with so many people? Do you know what that's like? That's the old system of justice, but with Jesus, compassion Is put together with justice, and Joseph is demonstrating this. And the question is, where does he get it from? We think that he is getting this from the book of Isaiah. It's already referenced in Matthew chapter 1, but in Isaiah 42, we read this text about the servant of the Lord, and this servant of the Lord is going to be an incredible person, and then we read this in verse 3. A bruised reed, the servant of the Lord will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. So this servant of the Lord is going to execute justice, and the example of this is how he deals with bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. What's going on here? What is this teaching us? A bruised reed back then, a reed would have been used more often than not for a pen in the ancient world. Now, if that pen, if that reed was broken, it was of no use to anyone. It basically would have been used for cooking and basically for fire. It was of no use. The servant of the Lord will administer justice so compassionately that not even a bruised reed would actually break. The administration of justice would still allow for that vessel to be used for what it was originally designed. Ask yourself this, as as people, religious people, administer justice, do they do it? with that kind of tenderness? The servant of the Lord will. The second analogy here is that the servant of the Lord will administer justice as compassionately and sensitively as a wick would not even be quenched. Now the image here is of a piece of linen that was tied and pushed tightly together, dipped in oil, hung kind of on a door frame, and then set alight to be a lamp into the room. But the problem was when the oil, had kind of all been used up, the linen would burn. It had the danger of dropping to the floor and burning the entire house. And so what they would do is they would put a bowl of water under that lamp, under that wick, so that when the oil had run out, the the linen would drop into the bowl. Again, no fire. So what is happening here? The servant of the Lord would even be so tender in his administration of justice that not even that threat from that linen, burning the house down would actually quench the purpose for which that linen had been designed. This is where Joseph gets it from. He gets this from the idea of the servant of the Lord. Now, we have no idea how, but what we see is Joseph is demonstrating justice faithfully in God's eyes. And we see right at the start of the story uh, an example of a man who right from the beginning is modeling the kind of justice, that God wants faithfully administered and would be faithfully administered through his Son Jesus Christ. <coughs> see Joseph is responding to wrong according to what he believes, and he believes that justice on its own isn't faithful. He believes that the kind of justice that honors God is justice and compassion. It's interesting as you read through the life of Jesus, and we'll get into this in a moment, as you go into the, the, the book of Acts, as you go into the, the rest of the New Testament, you see how much of a central feature of the gospel this is. In Romans chapter 2, for example, 1 through 4, this is what we read. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. Now, this judgment is often based on justice. It's based on the fact that someone has done something wrong. And when you've done something wrong, retribution and equality come into effect. But here Paul warns us how we deal with this. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. We're all one of those people. Be careful, Paul is saying. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. We all know that, right? Truth. But there's something else. So, when you, are a mere, when you, a mere human, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? But now, look at this. Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness... Forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. I love this. Even before the angel has come to him and told him what is going on, Joseph has all of the hallmark of the new kind of man, the new kind of being for whom justice on its own is not faithful unless it has the element of kindness and compassion. You see, servants of God do not simply seek justice without showing compassion. Let me ask you. When someone has wronged you, when someone cuts into line at the big B drive through, how do you respond? See, in my mind it was, Craig, you know what you're preaching tomorrow? Compassion. Kindness. In my mind was people know you, Craig. Bipka's voice, German accent. (laughs) The point is this. We respond to wrong at the gut level at the first reaction according to our spiritual stature. How do you respond to wrong? Do you respond to wrong the right way? I find it fascinating that right at the start of the New Testament, this is the first guy that we meet, and this is the first example that was set. And isn't this the example of our faith? Isn't this the heart of the gospel itself? That justice was administered with compassion because our wrong was placed on Jesus Christ. Justice and mercy justice, and compassion. And Joseph demonstrates it. The question is, do we? The second part of the story, as we move on, lets us into something else. It, whenever I read the story of Joseph, and I, and I saw this principle that I've shared with you quite a while ago, but I'm starting to read about this, and I'm like, man, this guy really is a saint, right? How on earth do you do this, Joseph? Even before the angel has come to you, you've just responded to wrong in such an incredible way. How do you do this? And I kind of figured that he's just got to be the type of guy who's just dispassionate. Nothing phases him or either that he's got no emotions at all. He's just a brick. I mean, how could you find out that someone you're engaged to is actually pregnant and you know the baby's not yours and just be, okay. That's the way I always read the story, but that's not the way the story is written. The story is written in the Greek language, and the Greek language has an idea in there that basically shows us that even though Joseph responded according to his spiritual stature, what he believed needed to have been done, there was still the emotional frustration and anger and disappointment that needed to be worked through. Invariably, when someone has wronged us, we may well clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness, but all too often, and that is especially true when we've really been wronged, the emotions on the inside are still there, are they not? And we see this in the story too, you see, because when life goes wrong, what Joseph teaches us is that we have to reprocess our emotions. We have to allow the anger, that wrath, the rage, the frustration, the irritation, and put it on the barometer where it is for you. We have to allow that to be reprocessed into grace. And we miss this in the Joseph story because of the the shortcomings of the English language. So at this point in the story, Joseph is going to do the right thing the right way. He's responding according to his spiritual stature. But he's not a kind of an inanimate object. He's not a robot. He has feelings. Those feelings are revealed to us in this word, considered. The text says, but after he had considered this, but after he considered this, He's going to do the right thing the right way. He's going to administer justice with compassion, and he's honored and esteemed as such. After he considered this, the angel of the Lord came to him. This word considered, it's a compound word. Two Greek words put together. The first is a preposition, which basically is the word and, which basically is in, on, by, or with. So he's processing this by, with, or in a certain emotion. What is the emotion? The emotion there is thumos. That is the word anger, temper, upset, rage, and wrath. So literally this word is, he is processing this in, by, with, anger, temper, rage, and wrath. He has got emotions. He's doing the right thing because sometimes doing the right thing is the very thing that causes our emotions to catch up. Do you all hear me on that? Doing the right thing is the very thing that allows our emotions to catch up. He's angry. He's upset. Do we all go, duh? But how many of us have read this story and thought, Joseph, how on earth did you do this? Just sail through. Folks, let me just tell you, not even saints sail through life without having to reprocess their emotions. We all do. Now, this may be such a new idea for some of you that Joseph was actually angry. I actually want to spend a few moments to jump into a couple of texts. This word thumos is used in Luke chapter 4 verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious, Thumos, when they heard this. What are we talking about here? Jesus walks into the synagogue at Nazareth. This is the day when he's basically going to kind of lay out his kingdom manifesto. He's opened the scroll to the book of Isaiah yet again, and he reads it, and he looks at them, and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. And they were furious, intense emotion. We see it again in Matthew in chapter 2 and verse 16 with the Christmas story itself. The wise men came to Herod and said, hey, uh, we've been following this star, and obviously we've got a little bit lost, Then can you tell us where the baby is, please? Okay, they don't really know Bethlehem. They follow the star then, and then they go to Bethlehem, and then Herod finds out that he's being tricked, okay? When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was Thumos. He's furious. This is the way the word is used, over and over and over again. One other word is important here. It's actually Acts 10, 19. Now, this is the portion of Scripture where Peter has the vision of the unclean animals coming down from heaven on a blanket. And it's interesting, this vision is the vision given to him as the text tells us he's hungry. I love this. Peter is physically hungry, and God gives him a vision. And the vision God gives him is of these unclean animals. And God says to Peter, Peter, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take these animals, and I want you to eat them. But wait a minute. These are unclean animals. I'm a Jew. I'm faithful to the law, and Jews faithful to the law wouldn't eat unclean animals. He says, God, I'm not going to do that. And God says, how dare you basically say that anything that I have made is actually unclean? While this is going on, we read this verse, while Peter was still thinking about the vision. Thinking here is the very same word considered that we look at in Matthew 1.20. Peter is processing this with intense emotion. You know why? His cultural Christianity or his cultural Judaism, not Christianity, his cultural Judaism is actually being challenged. This is important for us. Many times people have stood on this pulpit, and we've actually shared insights from the Word of God that challenge people's cultural Christianity. And all too often, and a lot of times, we get letters back from people who are enraged. And I'm like, that's okay because Joseph was, Peter was, and you are too. Folks, that's just the way it works. But the idea here is Joseph is working this thing through with intense emotion. He is angry. One of the One of the hardest lessons, especially for some of us guys uh, to work through, is how we get rid of our anger, that it's just destroying our relationships at home with our wife, with our kids. Anger destroys relationships. How, How does anger get recycled as grace? Joseph is angry. He's going to do the right thing the right way, but the emotions? He's been hurt. And if you know what it's like to be hurt and you're angry, you know what you need to do, but you kind of wake up every morning, right? And, and that thing, when you think about it, it's just still there. Proverbs 15.1 says this, a gentle, ang- a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I, I gentle word. I find it really interesting that in Acts chapter 10, as Peter is processing this with uh, passionate emotions, that vision, it's the still small voice of the Spirit that comes to him and say, hey, Peter, to help you process this, three men are about to knock on your door. Peter then has to go on a journey with this entire process all the way from Joppa up to Caesarea by the sea. And while he's there, the Spirit of God falls on unclean people and just recognizes, God, you're in this. But his anger began to be processed when he received the gentle word that came from the Spirit of God. In Matthew chapter 1 is exactly the same thing. As Joseph was considering these things, an angel appeared to him and basically said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The gentle word that comes in this instance from the messenger of God. You know what I discovered? Even yesterday as I was a big B, or when people have done wrong to me, my spiritual stature in Christ means that I am a new person in Christ Jesus. That means that the Spirit of God lives in me, indwells me, fills me, controls me. And when I get tempted to be angry, there's nearly always that still, small voice of the Spirit that says, stop, don't do this. Anger is turned away when we listen to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit because a gentle answer turns away wrath. And fortunately, what happens for many of us is that we do this. In your anger, don't sin. How do we sin? How do we, uh, how do we do this? Basically, by letting the sun go down while we are still angry. In other words, we sit on our anger. We stew on our anger. What is amazing about this text is that Joseph gets up and did exactly what the Lord had commanded him. Yeah. We reprocess our anger into grace when we listen to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit and we do what it says. And even in this text, we see an example that doing the right thing is the best thing that we can do. And when we do the right thing, our emotions invariably catch up. Friends, when we see Christmas through Joseph's eyes, we can change our perspective on our emotions, and we can allow our anger to be recycled as an expression of compassionate grace. My first ever experience of someone putting this into into effect was actually the principal in my Welsh elementary school, Mrs. Davis. I grew up in, in, a, in an environment where I received free school meals every day. And with that free school meal, my go-to meal was ravioli, beans, and chips, baked beans. Don't ask me why. That's what I liked. And with that, we would always be able to have some dessert. And it was invariably apple crumble. You all know what I'm talking about with custard, not the vanilla sauce that we used over here, proper custard. Custard which invariably my family bring to me, uh, to me from the UK because we can't buy the same thing over there. I have this all the time. But with this meal, we were only ever allowed one cup of water. That's it, just one. Don't ask me why one cup of water. Well, today this dinner lady, as we would call them, decided to be really gracious and give us a second cup of water. Second cup of water. We were so pumped that me and my seven other friends went out of that dining hall, walked down the corridors of the school shouting, we had more water. That's what you do as a seven-year-old, I guess. The only problem was we weren't allowed to shout in the corridors of school. So that same dinner lady actually reported us, and we all, eight of us, had to go to Mrs. Davis's office, the principal, and this is about 1970s, okay? And so we had to stand there with, with our... Hands, palms up, all in a line, and Mrs. Davis came and she took a 30 centimeter plastic ruler, was that about 15 inches, right? Plastic ruler, and she put the ruler straight over her hands, one after the other. And we got to my friend at number eight in the line, and he spontaneously burst into tears. And we were looking at him going, You wuss. <laughs> then Mrs. Davis did something I never expected. She turned around, went to her, her, uh, her, Like cupboard that was there. She brought out this big jar of cookies and she proceeded to give every single one of us a cookie. Now, in my mind, those two things didn't go together. (laughs) Justice and compassion. But I tell you what, I, I actually left that room a fan of Mrs. Davis. A ruler and a cookie meant that this woman was pretty amazing in my eyes. I never sang going down the corridor ever again, not because I was afraid of the ruler, but because I'd actually experienced the compassion of a principal. The power of kindness when wronged. You know what I find really amazing? This baby that Joseph welcomed into his home—and if you're a step family here—I pray that you will never be able to read the story of Christmas again without realizing, you stepdads, the power of your example to your stepkids. This this baby grows up, and at 30 years of age, he begins a ministry. And in this ministry, he would tell stories. And some of the stories, Luke 14, went like this. There was a master who had massive property. And he decided to, to invite all of his leaders to a big banquet. But none of them showed up. And he was so angry So angry, in fact, that He went outside and found all of the people that had nothing and actually showed compassion on them and brought them in. Can I ask you a question? Where do you think Jesus got this from? Oh, Jesus was God, and as God, he knew God better than anyone else. Yeah, but the Son of God didn't become a man in order to act like God. The Son of God became a man, took on flesh in order to be filled with the Spirit of God, and for the Spirit of God to reveal the will of God to him as a man. Where did he get this from? Could I suggest to you that not only did he get it from the Spirit of God who revealed the will of God in the Word of God to him, but he also got it from his stepdad. Because this is the kind of house that he grew up in, the kind of house that when things went wrong, the dad used a ruler and a cookie, justice and compassion. You know, in the video earlier on uh, from uh, Dawn, we heard Dawn's story, and uh, I want to draw your attention to this, because this is where this season is so important. Dawn shared how she came into CR and then she received an invite to come to our Christmas experience and she heard Hosanna and, we, and you may remember we had all of these ornaments at the front and, and Dawn said that as she heard that message, she realized she needed Jesus. She left her seat. She came and took an ornament and her life had changed. And you remember what she said? She said at the end, one of the amazing things for me about coming to Jesus is once I was unable to forgive, intense emotion, but now I can That's justice and compassion right there. That's also the power of this Christmas experience. Church, we believe in a living hope, not a dead message. We believe in a living hope of Jesus. And the band are going to come back and they're going to lead us in this song, Living Hope. It's a a hymn, a modern hymn that talks about how we were once in darkness, lost, but the light of the gospel came in and actually transformed us into a living hope. And I want to just encourage you. As you go through this season and people wrong you, as you go through life and and people wrong you and you feel that because of this wrong, hope has been obscured, let me just encourage you. Put Joseph's example into your experience. Let me encourage you. When you've been wronged, put compassion and kindness together with justice because you will never, ever know. The example that that has on your kids The example that that has on your grandkids. The example that that has on the people around you. But when we allow the gospel to change us and we do the right thing, our emotions will catch up. And God will use our example in our kids and our grandkids as stories that represent a God who does the same.